Hi, I'm Yana Firestone. I've loved having you on my podcasting journey so far. I hope you're enjoying season four and that you've gained something from the stories I've been bringing to you. Now, I've made something just for you. Living through these tumultuous times, we've all had a lot to contend with. We've had to pivot and adapt like never before. But what if we can't? What's stopping us from taking those leaps of faith? In my new book, Embracing Change, I unpack some of the psychological barriers to change using anecdotes from my own personal life and professional experience as a therapist, as well as sharing some of the heartfelt and painful experiences of my well-known guests on the Curious Life podcast. We all have a story and we all have challenges to overcome. Embracing change is about finding the ways that we can adjust, transition and adapt as smoothly as possible. Embracing Change is available at all good bookstores at Kmart, Big W or online via Booktopia. If you prefer to listen to your books, you can hear me read it to you via audiobook available through Audible. I would love to hear your thoughts. So please let me know what you think on socials at The Curious Life Podcast. And don't forget, as always, to leave a rating or review of the podcast. Shirzy Denya has a degree in communications, broadcast journalism and theatre media and has worked in a billion jobs, all very different. Shezzy is also the bright and bubbly wife of TV host with the most, Grant Denya. There's been a few rumours through the years about the couple, if you believe a headline on a rag you might read at the doctor's office, but it could not be further from the truth. The truth can be found in her and Grant's podcast, It's All True, where this down-to-earth husband and wife duo shine, letting it all hang out, warts and all. Shezzy Denya is a dynamo, a mother of three who gives 100% every day to make sure her three girls grow up to be the best women that they can be. To say Shezzy has had to overcome adversity to be the woman she is today is an understatement. Join Yana and Shezzy as they move through what has led her to this point in her life, the challenges, taking on those rumours head on, and stay to the end for a very real chat on motherhood and the guilt that comes with it. You'll meet and fall in love with Shezzy Denya in just a moment. I am very excited to be talking with you today, Shezzy. Thank you so much for joining me on The Curious Life today. Thank you for having me. We're sort of in a similar boat at the moment. You've got three girls. I've got three boys. We're sort of in the thick of it with little ones and managing the new family dynamics. And I'm so keen to hear how it is all going for you. But before we get to that, maybe we can just kind of rewind a little bit. You've worked in media in every kind of way for years and years and years, and you've had all kinds of other jobs as well. Can you tell us? Very random, very random jobs as well. But how brilliant is that? Like I'm a big believer in jumping in and trying things and you end up where you end up, but not taking the leap and not trying things means you miss out on so many great opportunities and connections. And you're someone that has jumped in and and done lots of different things, including your podcast. (laughs) It's all true with your hubby, Grant Denya. But tell us about Shezzy. How did you get here? Well, as I said, uh, how long do you have? Um, I knew from when I was, I think, four years old that I wanted to work in TV. I didn't know what capacity, but I just remember watching Miss Piggy on TV and I thought, I want to be her. I want (laughs) to be exactly like her. 
really strong, very feminine, but can entertain, but can also be very soft. So I guess fast forward, I'm Miss Piggy, living the life of Miss Piggy with my own little Kermy frog. Don't tell my husband that. (laughs) So I kind of had that in the back of my mind. That's what I want to do. I wasn't great at school. As it turns out, when I turned 40, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So made a lot of sense looking back. But through school, I really struggled with sitting still and studying. I was very curious and I was very uh, naturally intelligent, if I do say so myself, but being able to apply myself was quite difficult. During my kind of high school years, everybody kept saying, if you want to do TV, which they, most people that I spoke to, careers advisors and mentors and things all tried to steer me in a different path. They kept saying, look, you're good at drama and you're good at things like that. However, how are you going to make a career out of this? Mm. I guess I could see my passion. And so they tried to mold me into maybe doing journalism. So I went to university And I started studying journalism with a major in politics and a minor in comedy, which, you know, the two had never been kind of paired together. It was very random. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't gel. I never felt like a journalist. I had full respect for everybody who I studied with who were really news hungry and they loved it. That wasn't really me. So I started studying a second degree, which was theatre media again, not really me. I just didn't really feel like I fit into, they were very carefree and very theatrical and just didn't feel like me either. So I really didn't feel like I fit anywhere. But when I left university, I got a job as a journalist with the local uh, news crew. And I loved the camaraderie of working in the newsroom, but I was a terrible journalist. Like I was terrible. (laughs) I got sent to a number of different stories that really probably impacted me later on. And I didn't realize that I was very good at suppressing emotions, but I wasn't good at processing them. And I didn't realize at the time. So I saw some really serious accidents where in one particular accident, a baby had been thrown out of the windscreen and was deceased. And I was the first person on the, on the scene oh um, that really affected me, mm. even though I, I tried to pretend that it didn't, but at that point it did. Mm. And to go back and then write a story, I found that extremely difficult. I think I have empathy overdrive and I didn't love being a journalist, but I pretended to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, you know what, maybe I might do a bit of politics and I was offered a job at New South Wales Parliament. And so I started working there because clearly I'm not a journalist. I'll help out trying to direct people on how to respond to the media and give them a bit of media training, some of the politicians. That wasn't me either. And so I'd had this burning passion to do TV. hadn't really found my place yet. And so I thought, you know what, maybe I just need to go for a totally different career. So I left politics after a number of years and I ended up at Fernwood Gym. Mm -hmm. I just wanted something totally different. Ended up at Fernwood Gym and started doing endomology. I was the first endomologist, which is cellulite massage. Oh, wow. Very different. (laughs) Completely different. different. Yeah. And I just found that I loved my connection with people and hearing people's stories. And I just kind of gravitated to listening and letting people tell me their stories and then kind of offering them my take on something or my advice. 
And I loved, I loved that aspect, but endemology uh, massage wasn't for me. So I kind of got that burning desire. I need to get back into the media, into the entertainment industry. So I thought, you know what, maybe I'll try my hand at promotions. So I picked up a job at WSFM. And they said for my first job, I was going to dress up in the kangaroo suit. And so I thought, okay, great, I can do this. So off I went, jumping on the side of the road, trying to wave people into this event. And then some kids knocked me over and I literally remember having my face down in the dirt. Can't get up because my kangaroo tail is too heavy and I'm out on the highway. I just thought, what am I doing? I went to university. I've got a double degree. I'm in a kangaroo suit sweating on a highway somewhere. So... Really long story. I started working at Channel 7 on the chief of staff desk. I thought maybe I can help order the news rundowns for the day. Maybe that's, you know, where I can fit in. And I quite liked that, I guess, because it was full adrenaline. Mm. But again, didn't feel I fit in. Mm. And then I was headhunted by the head of Sunrise at that point. And he, he just said, I think that you'd make a great producer. And I thought, mm, give it a go. Loved it. Mm. Absolutely loved it. Being a field producer was fantastic because I got to use those skills where, you know, I get to talk to people, find out what the real story is, work out very quickly what angle we want to take and then help direct the talent. And, and that's where I met my husband and worked at Sunrise for a number of years and really, really loved that and then stopped working when I had my first child. So always had that passion for TV, mm. but just never kind of found my, my footing. But it's hard when you're straight out of uni as well. How would you know what any job feels like until you're in it? And I think for a lot of young people, they feel this pressure to just know what they're supposed to be doing when they finish school. But yeah. you've got to try on all the different hats, don't you? And Absolutely. You know, all of that life experience that you had in all of those wrong fit jobs yes. got you to where you are today. That's right. And actually, I should say that I did have a break. After working with Sunrise for a bit, I had full burnout because mm. I threw myself into the role and loved it. And I, yeah, I did have burnout and I kind of thought, you know what, I need to have a break from this. And so I sold cars for a bit before going back to TV. Yeah. So there you wow. go. <laughs> Amazing. So you're yeah. not really someone that just kind of sits on the couch and just does nothing. Not good at doing nothing. No. no. <laughs> it's also been a bit of a challenge and it's only recently when I started to learn about myself and how my brain works uh, and I started to kind of understand myself. I was always busy. I was one of those people who was just constantly busy. I would never sit on the couch, but I can't always say that I was extremely productive. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Especially now knowing that you had this diagnosis at 40, that does make sense that you're busy, but you're not necessarily using your brain in the way that you that it want. Be yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, because I, I, I just thought that I'd been on the road traveling for so many years that I just didn't know how to do washing because washing was a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. And when I finally was diagnosed, so much made sense. Because I felt like for the first time in my life, my eyes had been opened to this whole new reality. And I started researching and hyper-focusing on what ADHD is. And, and I just thought that I was extremely creative and very unique. And then I started reading all this literature and I started thinking, no, actually, I'm <laughs> a very ADHD. <laughs> 
It's really interesting, isn't it? Because ADHD can present really differently in women. It's not necessarily that stereotypical presentation that we see in young boys more so than young girls. And you can go your whole life without it being picked up. And I can imagine it must have been really reassuring at 40 to go, oh, okay, so this all makes sense and this is how my brain works and this is how I can get the best out of myself. First up, I felt like I'd been ripped off a bit. So I had to take all my school reports in to see the psychiatrist and then they go through them all. And they literally said after the first two reports, I cannot believe nobody ever picked this up in you because I was just so classic ADHD. I wasn't disruptive. Mm. I was a big people pleaser, um, but I had verbal diarrhea all the time. Just Mm -hmm. Couldn't stop talking. And I couldn't apply myself consistently. And I remember getting a cane in church because I couldn't sit still. Wow. And I just, you know, I look back on those things now and I, I feel sorry for myself, you know, and I think, I think if that was my daughters, I'd be really upset and really angry because they can't help it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time I just kind of internalised and I started this, I guess, dialogue, you know, you're so stupid. Why can't you just do what they're asking? So all of those feelings all kind of came to the surface and all of it started to be unpacked. And I remember cleaning out a drawer. So my kitchen drawer, I thought, you know what, this is one job. I'm going to clean out my kitchen drawer and I'm going to test how ADHD I am. And so I'm trying to clean out the drawer. I take one thing into a room and I go to pack that away. And then I look at something on the floor and I think, oh, I'll pick that up. And then I phone call rings and I take the phone call. Well, I still haven't done the drawer. So I bring myself back. And 16 times I stopped to do other things through like just that one job. Wow. That was a real eye opener for me mm. because I'd always thought that I was very good at multitasking, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, I am quite good at multitasking. However, if you have to do one job really well, that was where I kind of, you know, let myself down. So, yeah. You didn't let yourself down. You just didn't have the understanding yet. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. My heart was breaking a little bit for you, imagining little Shezzy who Mm. nobody knew what was going on yet and you're being punished and told that what you're doing is not good enough and you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine then that narrative that you create for yourself, that you're not good enough, that you can't do what, why can the others all do the right thing? There must be something wrong with me. How did that manifest for you as you were growing up? Um, As I said, I was really good at being a bit of a, wearing a mask. I was going to say being a pretender. I was very good at just pushing it all down. But as you know, eventually it all has to come bubbling up. So after I had my first daughter, Sailor, and I had a really traumatic birth with her and I was left with some, uh, like my catheter bag fell off the end of the bed after an emergency cesarean. So it tore my urethra and had a lot of pain, had to do physio to be able to urinate again. And with your first baby, lots of pain, still on pethidine. Mm. I developed like postnatal anxiety. I'd never, I'd never had anxiety before in my life. And then all these things started coming to the surface. So I also didn't realize that I had complex PTSD. 
from one of the events was seeing that baby thrown through the windscreen and not dealing with it, yeah. which I thought I'd moved on from, but mm. no, it, it had to be processed. I also nearly died. I had an anaphylactic attack and, and should have died, but by some miracle I didn't. And there was a few things that happened and they all started coming up. Mm. So I turned into a full mental case, I guess, you know, at, at that point I did, I couldn't articulate what was going on with me. I couldn't explain what I was feeling, but I was not myself. And I just became very manic physically. I seemed quite manic. I couldn't sleep. And Mm. I just uh, remember reaching out to a number of different health professionals and saying, I need help. There's something not right. I don't know what it is. They kept trying to, they kept trying to diagnose me with postnatal depression because I was only a new mum. Mm-hmm. But I felt that it was much more than that, and I kept doing the Edinburgh test, you know, and and I wasn't depressed mm-hmm. because I'd still be laughing and I could just become really anxious very quickly and over very random things, and so that started this whole journey of seeing therapists, psychotherapists. I ended up going to a place overseas that specializes in PTSD Mm. and that was extremely scary for me, but Mm. started this huge change in my life. And now I can talk about all of these things. And I love talking about it too, because Mm. it's been such a process to get through a lot of this stuff. And I love sharing my story because for some reason, people always assume that you, if you're in the media, that you've got this really shiny, fun, exuberant kind of perfect life. And ours has definitely not been, you know, like that at all. Mm. I love helping people by sharing my story. So yeah, well, it's so important. And I think particularly because for a lot of new mums, when you have your first baby, you have no idea what's going on. You don't know what's normal, quote unquote. You don't know what to expect. Your body's flooded with hormones. You're completely sleep deprived. Your whole entire world has transformed in good ways and bad because, you know, it's full on, it's intense. And for a lot of young women, who might talk to people about how they're feeling. There's often just a conversation. I often hear women talk about being told, oh, well, you know, you've just had a baby. You know, you're supposed to feel like that. You're tired, you're emotional, you're hormonal. Everyone goes crazy after having a baby. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Am I crazy? Oh, my God. Am I crazy? That sounds really negative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, in the lead up to having my third baby, I was a little bit worried about, how I was going to go because I knew what was coming. I knew the sleep deprivation was coming. I knew the feeding around the clock and all the things that you don't know what's happening with your baby and how to manage it on top of having two other kids to deal with as well. So I I was a little bit nervous about it. And I remember talking to people and saying, I'm a little bit concerned about how I'm going to be, if I'm going to be okay. And you're going to manage it. Yeah. And I think coming from the work that I do, I understand that any kind of postnatal anxiety or depression or stress or anything can come at, to anyone at any time. Mm. And so I was preparing myself a little bit and preparing the people around me. And what I got back from everyone as well was the same thing like, oh, you'll be fine. 
done it before. You know what to do. It'll be okay. You'll be fine. Mm. You're just tired. Missive though. Isn't it, it is. Like it's not, you know, because you, you're really vulnerable when you have a baby. Absolutely. You, you yeah. rely on your support. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm nine weeks in and I have been okay. And touch wood, I've got the baby from heaven. He's just so perfect. <laughs> Perfect at the moment, at the moment, I say, because we know how quickly that changes, but, you know, he's sleeping like a dream and he's all doing all the right things and he's been really easy. But had he not been, I don't know how I would have been coping because I find the stress of the older kids and all their energy a lot. And that's the part that I find really hard at the moment. There's so many conversations that women sort of do. I guess it's dismissed. And so I think sharing your story where you went through such an extreme version of what so many women do experience. I think it's so important to talk about it. So many of us have underlying things that we haven't addressed. And this incredible trauma Mm. that you experienced, which also you experienced at a time when you were really new to the working world, you were green. You should have had debriefing. You should have been supported after that. We know that now, but I also in my early 20s experienced traumatic jobs and I didn't get any support really around it. Those things, you bury them and you don't deal with them. And as you said, they do come up later. And we've all got those little skeletons and things like that that can then come up later. Sometimes there is one thing that will keep your head above water. Shezzy has had to fight and fight hard, striving to overcome an array of hurdles. And she'll tell you what was on her mind and kept her motivated after this. When you say you had to unpack and deal with all of that, was it the trip overseas that really got you to confront all of that? tough stuff? Um, It was a long process. So the trip overseas, that opened my eyes to what PTSD was. I mean, I was there with people who had worked in the Navy, in the Army, and here I was, hi, I'm a new mum and you know, I don't have any of your credentials, but you know, I guess I'd feel like I belong here. But I really enjoyed learning about what was going on with, you know, myself and mm. And they did ask, I remember when we first arrived, they said, do you have ADHD? Could you have ADHD? Could you have, you know, any of these other conditions? I didn't know then. So I was like, no, no, just normal. And then had a baby and, you know, now I'm here, which wasn't the case at all. So the trip overseas started the whole thing. Then I wanted to become more spiritual. And I just felt like I'd kind of lost that side of myself I just became very work focused and that was it that was the only thing in my life was work and I wanted to get back to being calmer and I wanted to get back to maybe doing some meditation or mindfulness and that kind of started to that hunger started while overseas but I had to come back I mean I wasn't overseas for very long I had to come back and then I had to put the work in so I saw a counsellor who was fantastic twice a week for two years. Wow. Yeah, which was a lot. And in the first few sessions, I found it very difficult to talk about things. Mm. And I didn't realise that at that point that when you've had traumas that your timeline can be all over the place. 
there were some things I was thinking, well, did that actually happen to me or was that a dream? I had to really trust my intuition and, and I did a timeline for myself and under the, the help of the counsellor, which was very helpful. Mm-hmm. I did hypnotherapy. I did acupuncture, even though I'm petrified of needles, um, and just started to try all these things. Like I tried kinesiology and then that opened my mind to something else. And I just basically started to trust other professionals rather than being a control freak and trying Mm -hmm. to drive it, you know, myself. But the counseling and being able to talk about what I had experienced, being able to articulate feelings that was extremely powerful in my recovery, I guess. That's a huge undertaking that you should be so proud of to make that commitment to yourself. And it's so easy in those first few sessions when it's all so hard, it's so easy to just walk away from that say, ah, this isn't for me, this isn't working, this is too yeah. hard. So well done to you because that's you. what a gift to yourself and to your children that you did put in that work and for all of us listening to your story. Amazing. And that was great. I had my daughter in my mind and I thought I have to be, I have to be better for my daughter. Mm. She deserves to have a mum that is fully present. And although I was a good mum then, I wasn't fully present all the time because mm. I just was still dealing with things myself. And whilst physically I was there, emotionally I wasn't. Yeah. That's really powerful to be able to make that connection and again, put in the hard yards and go through the tough stuff of unpacking all of that and feeling it and working through it. And, and it you know, was hard. It was awful because most of the time when really bad feelings came up, I was so used to pushing them down. That was my automatic response. In fact, I also realized about myself that I was very good at dissociation. Mm -hmm. I actually dissociated when I was having the traumatic birth and I dissociated when I was having the anaphylaxis and that was, and I didn't know any of this. Mm -hmm. And so to learn that's how powerful, how much I don't want to work on dealing with these (laughs) things is that I'm just pretend like I'm not pretending, but I'm stepping outside of my own body and just pretending like it's not happening. That was my natural response. So it was hard and it was awful. Well, that's a protective mechanism, isn't it? It's keeping yourself safe, but it's just really delaying the consequences in a way, because then eventually you did have to deal with it and Mm. go through all of that unpacking and that feeling that you'd tried so hard to avoid. Yes. Yes. And do you feel like you're better at it now when hard things come up? Do you feel like you're, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I I used to bite my nails when I was a a child or I used to have a whole bottle of wine if I had awful feelings to deal with. I just couldn't sit with them or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd I'd eat a jar of Nutella or I'd do anything to take the focus off dealing with emotions. And now I... I like that challenge of having a particular emotion and and sitting with it and trying to process it, trying to talk about it with my girls mm-hmm. because I don't want them to go through what I went through mm-hmm. and I don't have that difficulty anymore. In fact, then I like reading, you know, really great books like this <laughs> one. <laughs> 
uh, embracing change. Oh, I love reading things like your story and finding out about how you dealt with certain things throughout your life and, mm. and really exploring it more. So I kind of throw myself more into the feeling than suppress it. Amazing. Uh, and again, that is just so wonderful that you're giving that to your kids from the beginning, that they're going to grow up knowing we talk about our feelings. We talk about the hard things. We don't bury them and pretend they're not happening. That's the greatest start for them that you could give them. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I don't know if your kids are, are like mine, but my eldest, I'm constantly trying to talk about everything with him. He's always kind of in trouble, you know. I'm always sort of trying to correct him and he's my wild one. He's the hyperactive wow. one that he can't was sit birth. still. Yes, yes. Okay, so that's difficult. That's yes, yeah. yes. They, they seem to have gotten more chilled as, as we go. He doesn't want to sit there and talk about his feelings all the time and for me to try and explain things all the time. So he's always like, oh, mom, I don't want to talk about it. So I think I've got a bit of work to do there. <laughs> Or maybe I just need to chill out. Well, maybe he probably will grow up realizing that there is that open channel of communication if he needs it, which I think is, you know, is the first step. Yeah. My eldest daughter talks about everything. She has ADHD. She had it very different to what I did. She didn't have the hyperactivity. Mm. She became quite introverted and we didn't realize until COVID hit that she was really quite struggling at school. And that, that was what kind of sparked my whole ADHD journey because we started to learn about how it presents differently in girls and boys. And, mm. and she, she, she didn't understand things at school, so she just kind of switched off and started daydreaming, and, which wasn't like me. Yeah. But now she's a thousand times better and she's thriving at school and we've seen a really big lift in her confidence and she loves talking about feelings. So oh, that's amazing. Again, how brilliant that you were able to pick that up early and help her to grow in confidence and self esteem rather than like in your experience where she mm-hmm. might have been feeling that something was wrong and she wasn't achieving her potential in some way. And you've now given her that gift of being seen and for you all to kind of work out well, this is how her brain works. This is what's going to help get the best out of her this way. And again, that, that you got the same gift at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It was very special. It was a silver lining for Mm. the COVID lockdown was doing homeschooling and me sitting there with her trying to do year three work and thinking, well, how is she not understanding this? You know, she Mm. was kind of like off with the fairies and I just kept saying to my husband, something's not quite right. She just cannot sit there and do her work, which started this whole kind of journey on learning about inattentive ADHD and she fit the criteria perfectly and I think probably also having my own challenges at school that helped me to I I wasn't in denial at all that school can get very hard for people in high school years and if she was struggling like this in year three year four then we needed to do whatever we could to help her so I don't know. I get asked all the time, you know, my, my child has these tendencies. Do you think that they're ADHD? And my response is always like, just explore it, be open to it. Don't be scared by it. Everybody's different and just try what you can to make life easier because life is hard, but it doesn't need to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 
for some of the families that I work with as well, working with families in schools, it's really hard when the parents just don't want to know about it. And Mm. it's hard for the kid who's getting older and older. And as you say, things are getting more and more difficult. Whereas once you explore it, it's not about putting a label on it. It's just about understanding how the brain of this little person works and then putting in the supports to make sure that they're able to perform in the best way that they can and to feel good about themselves and not feel like there's something wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not to have this kind of dialogue that you develop, I think, from when you're quite young saying you are so stupid, you can't do this, you are not enough, as you said before. And that had already started in my daughter and I didn't even realize. So Mm. I'm working on myself and unpacking all my stuff. And meanwhile, she's, you know, over here struggling with schoolwork, which I had no idea about because she was a good girl and Mm. she's a people pleaser. And so when they'd ask, do you understand? Yes. And she'd do all the homework. And even though it took a really long time, you know, she never wanted to get into trouble, but she's amazing now. She's really thriving because she knows her limits and we also know her limits. And it's been fantastic for us to both work out that we have very different brains. And I constantly talk to her about the ADHD brain and our superpowers, the things that we have that normal brains don't necessarily have. So yeah, we have a very positive dialogue in this house. Amazing. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm just, I'm so happy to hear that. That's just (laughs) wonderful for her. And it's wonderful for you too. And how great for your relationship to be able to be on that journey together. How much fun is it taking your family away to a quiet, idyllic destination? Just enjoying fun in the sun, no cares, no woes, no designer bathing suits or togs. And what's the fallout when even that isn't sacred and paparazzi set upon you for those scoop photos? If you haven't had that experience, Shezzy is just about to tell you firsthand. This episode of the Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com, you know you want to. You live a lot of your life in public just one little Google of your name and there's like 10,000 articles um, about. <laughs> Not all true, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. That's why we started the podcast, It's All True, because we kept thinking, we've got these great life stories, all these things that have been happening to us that none of it really gets reported on. They'd prefer to make up some kind of sensationalized story, which yeah. is never even as exciting as the truth. But yeah. Which is brilliant. I love the podcast. I've been having a listen. You guys have such great chemistry together and it's it's really it's a lot of fun. But you do put a lot of it out there and yep. you share a lot of what's happening in the family and in your relationship and in your lives. And I love that. And that was a conscious choice for the podcast. But in terms of your role as a parent, how much of your parenting are you consciously choosing to share publicly and how do you manage that living in the spotlight as a family with young kids? It's a good question. We do put a lot out there and we do share a lot, but I'm also kind of measured. I would never 
put out something about my children that was extremely embarrassing that in 15, 18 years time, they'd come back to me and say, this has really impacted me. Like I'm conscious of that, but it's also been taken out of our hands in some ways, because some of the stories that started many years ago about Grant and I aren't true. Mm-hmm. and have been so sensationalized and have involved our kids we'd be followed by paparazzi and i don't know why there was this obsession with us possibly because i was going through what i was experiencing after i had sailor's birth we were it was a very public birth we we're on covers of magazines so there was a real thirst and the sunrise audience loved grant and then all of a sudden I didn't look very well because I wasn't. I had the postnatal anxiety and then we wouldn't do interviews and yet then we'd get paparazzi photos looking terrible because I was was struggling. Mm. And then they would always put their own spin on what they thought was happening and, and that then started this big, not a witch hunt, but just started this big, I don't know, number of years where lots of different stories were written about us struggling and and they were filling in blanks. And that's very difficult when you're trying to navigate what I was going through, trying to explain to my husband who he had exhaustion, he had total burnout, which I know that you've spoken to other people about executive Mm. burnout. He had total adrenal gland exhaustion and he was very unwell. Mm. Meanwhile, I'm having this mental journey Trying to go through all of that whilst in the public eye was really difficult. Mm. And it added this extra layer that just was very hard. And then you have kids and our kids learnt very early on that what you read is not always true. Mm. And they kind of developed this, I guess, a healthy respect for there's what is written about in magazines and then there's real life. And, you know, sometimes the two don't correlate more often than not, they don't. And starting up the podcast and speaking out about things became very natural because I don't know, I just find that there's a lot of people who were interested. And as we started talking about our journeys and what actually happened, they were like, oh, I remember that. Oh, right. And so when you give people the information that they were fed something incorrect and you give them the truth, it feels normal. It feels Mm -hmm. like that's the way it should be. And there's been a real groundswell of respect that we've felt in starting the podcast. And People talk to our kids all the time and they say, oh, we heard this story, you know, and our kids, they've just kind of grown up with it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good. I think it's healthy because we're kind of filling in the blanks and we're kind of giving people the true story. And for whatever reason, you know, the universe has decided that, that we needed to set some things straight. And I think that that helps our kids as well as many other kids when they realize that it's not always what you read. It's not always true. So, yeah. And I think that's really important because it gives you a right of reply. Whereas mm-hmm. before, when you're on the cover of two magazines in particular that I can think of that are very creative with their copy, you never really had anywhere no. to have a response no, um, the way that we do now with social media and your podcast. Absolutely. And it's a shame that you have to set things straight. It's a shame that they're still coming up with fabrications and damaging stories that could hurt your family and that you even have to stand up and say something at all is 
not a good thing. But it is wonderful that you've been able to do that. And so important for your kids, I think, to give them, well, this is the example of how created these stories are. And this is what really happened. And I love that they're in on it. I shop. I'm a mum. You know, I'm standing at the checkout and there's the front page of a magazine with my husband, like with his eyes all crooked, where they've taken a frame from a video. So, and it's like Grant Denyer's breakdown fears for his health. And Mm. so Sailor could read from when she was, you know, five. And so she'd be like, why is dad having a breakdown? So there was conversations like that. And I remember having to explain to her, no, people can write whatever they like. Why? You have to take them to the police. You can't take them to the police. (laughs) And, you know, and that's kind of how the whole conversation started. Mm -hmm. Plus also we've got all the old covers from when she was first born. And there's a number of people on the front covers with other sensationalized stories Mm -hmm. that never came true. (laughs) She's and we see that all the time. So yes. but it sparked this great conversation about at their school as well, about how not everything you see in social media and not everything that you read in the media is true. And I think that that is so important because my kids now have this understanding that if you see somebody on social media, you know, who looks perfect, they've most probably had a filter. It's the same thing as a magazine cover with a false story. You need to question it. You can't just take everything at face value. So mm. it's sad that we live in that world, but, you know, we were kind of thrust into it. So now we have to navigate it. They're important conversations for all kids, really, about us, particularly young girls and, and what they're seeing and what we know that that's doing to their confidence and self-esteem and body image, having to live up to these completely unrealistic expectations we're seeing absolutely. online. Yeah, absolutely. And that scares the bejesus out of me, having yeah. three girls growing up in this day and age. I'm nervous about it. So we've started those conversations already. As a mum of boys, I think about the same thing, but almost the responsibility is a little bit different. I feel the pressure of needing to ensure that my boys grow up knowing as well that none of that's real. Girls are never going to look like that in real life and you can't ever expect them to. This is what real women look like. This is how real women behave. This is not what we aspire to. I had a paparazzi follow us on a beach like when we were having a holiday and they took all sorts of photographs of me and ill-fitting cozies like I was on holidays and didn't really care. I was sitting with a girlfriend like having a lovely time and those photos have been reused and reused and the first lot that came out it was like Shezzy's overindulgent cellulite something or other and then they took that down and then the photos were reused as if I was having the same holiday the next year on and (sighs) and it was a way to kind of fat shame me Mm. and I felt that because of the storyline and the the headlines and Mm. that it really annoyed me because Mm. I thought I had so many mums saying to me through mummy time so I started a community mummy time on YouTube god if they're saying these things about you I'll never ever get my body out at the beach because everybody looks different and that was heartbreaking for me because I thought every mum deserves the right to go swimming at the beach like every mum deserves the right to feel comfortable in their body no matter what you look like the priority should be spending time with your child 
you can't get that time back. Yeah. And that really annoyed me. Mm. So much so I wrote to the press council at that point and the general consensus from the press council is if you are deemed a celebrity or a royal that these magazines can basically do what they like. My point was, well, I'm not a celebrity. My husband is a celebrity. I'm just his wife. So I'm not really a celebrity. So I don't think that's fair. But anyway. It didn't go anywhere. No. But power of social media, I was able to put it up and I did do a post that was shared a lot, even overseas. I had some overseas interviews. I just basically said, I've nearly 40, got a dimply bottom and who cares? Life is too short to be worried about your appearance at the beach. I love that. That would hit home for most of us because there's always a moment on the beach where you're thinking like, mm. The kids want to get in the water. Do I, oh, do I, am I going to rip off my sarong and like run in or am I going to leave my sarong on? And like every mum, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how, how, as you say, like how awful to know that we're spending that time thinking about that rather mm. than thinking about the fun that we could just be having with the kids and letting go of all of that shame and that fear and anxiety around our bodies. Even for those women that we look at objectively who look amazing they have the same thoughts and anxieties same insecurities and you know what really kind of peeved me off I won't swear (laughs) what really peeved me off was that I thought after I saw these photos I thought you know what for probably five years I didn't swim at the beach purely because I didn't want to have photographs taken because I didn't feel good. And then here I am at some obscure beach in God knows where, and they've found me. I'm wearing the worst possible cozies. Like it couldn't not be any worse. Yeah. So what was I worrying about? Yeah. I've spent five years not enjoying my time with the kids. Now my youngest is too big. I can't take her in the waves anymore because she's too big. Mm. And I missed out on all those experiences because of the fear of being snapped in my cozies which happened anyway yeah so get in the water stuff them and most people what I realize now is that most people are so consumed with how they look themselves they're not worrying about how anybody else looks (laughs) that's true although my kids have noticed the trend in swimwear that you know Like, mommy, why is her whole bum out? Why can I see her whole bum? I'm like, um, I guess everyone's got their own choice about what they want to wear. <laughs> you know, I'm like in a sarong. Yeah, that's right. Covered. Course, like, yeah. Up to the neck, um, wetsuit. Yeah. My kids just thought that was normal because I, looking back, always had such a wedgie because I always had such fitting <laughs> swimmer bottoms that I just always rocked a g-string style love it love it great message for the kids though you know just like get in the water and who cares I guess it's a bit different for, for someone like you and compared to someone like me I don't have paparazzi following me. It's just my own head I've got to deal with. I think it's all relative. So now I keep thinking, you know what, if I go to the beach, I hope they take a photo of me. Mm. I hope they do because I hope that every other mum who looks at these photos, they go, you know what, she looks normal. So if she's normal and she's out there enjoying the beach, why can't I? Yeah, I love that. And I will take that into next summer with me (laughs) please do I want to see you in a g-string on the beach (laughs) I can't promise that (laughs) but maybe I'll roll the sarong up a little bit higher (laughs) 
Yana and Shezzy are both mothers of three, both with young babies, and both being known to get their points across, well, let's say loudly. <laughs> Every mother has guilt about how they're doing. Join the laughter when they tackle these emotions and you might discover some things you do, everyone else does as well. Thank you. for writing your book. Thanks for reading my book. <laughs> it's amazing. I feel like I, I know you, you know, personally now, so it's good. Oh, thank you. Yes, it was the first time I've been really kind of as open as I was in the book, sharing some of my stories in more details. And I'm so glad that it resonated with you because that was the whole idea to try and connect with people. It actually, when I was shopping, I was with my kids in, I think it was Maya, and it fell off the shelf in front of me. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at some Barbies and things and then the book fell off and I thought, oh, what's this? And I picked it up and that was, was like somebody was trying to tell me you need to get this book. So, wow. and just reading Embracing Change, which is exactly what has been my, I guess, mantra for the past 10 years now. It all made sense. So it was like it was written for me. Aww. Well, it was, but definitely okay. was. That's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole point is really yeah. to connect with people because change is that one constant that we're all going to experience. And it's so right. easy to just hide from it and miss out on so many great things in life. And you've done all of that for the last 10 years. You've embraced it. I have. Well, yeah, yeah begrudgingly at, yeah. <laughs> at this time. Yeah. But, um, but I look back now and I think my life, I never could have predicted that it could be so amazing and so mm. light filled and life is magical and beautiful and it can be really scary and awful at times and hard but you have to be open to the experiences and you have to be able to process stuff and brace it to the best of your ability at the time. Such a great message because it's so easy to forget about the hope that yes, we all really have access to. It's really easy to shut down and just when you're in the trenches to just think like, this is it. This is my life now. But to know that life can be so magical and beautiful and wonderful again, after yeah. you've been through the hard stuff is really an important reminder. Mm. Thanks so much again. No worries. Hopefully oh. we can do it again another day. Definitely. Oh, you are welcome back any day. <laughs> okay, so tomorrow. What yes. time? <laughs> Thank you. The stories you shared today are what I feel is really important and so many women go without hearing these kinds of things and thinking that they just have to bury their pain. And, and I don't want that at all, which is no. that that was the catalyst for me starting up Mummy Time. Like I need to help mums hear these stories. Like I yeah. need to have a vehicle for mums to connect with other mums so that we can talk about the bad stuff that happens yeah. that nobody tells you about. Yeah, it's so important that I can't stand it when people just pretend like everything's great. God, for the first six weeks of having this baby, as good as he is, like he was feeding to the minute every two to three hours to the minute and that all sounds great that he's like doing the right things but Jesus Christ you're not getting more than an hour and a half sleep at any time I remember when I had Sunday after our first night home I was like what have we done yes. <laughs> we forgot they feed every two hours yes. I can't live like this yeah seriously yeah it's intense it really is. intense it does get easier and yeah having three kids is is 
beautiful. It's amazing. You know, I love their little personalities and it's, it's challenging as well and chaotic yeah. and yeah. yeah, the chaos is real. And there's no such thing as balance. No. One thing that I hate it when people say, how do you achieve balance? I'm like, what is balance? Yeah. It's just surviving uh, from one moment yeah. to the next, really. You know, That's like, right. okay, lunches yeah. and uniforms and out the door with those ones and then feeding this one. And okay, now he's vomited all over me. And right. like, oh, it's just constant, constant, constant. Yeah. Everyone needs something from you all the time. And I think that even is worse for mums. I don't want to generalize, but the emotional and the physical need that kids have of us is so draining is very draining yeah Yeah. and you have to really put that into perspective and you do need time out so and I'm hopeless at taking time out for myself I almost need to write it in my diary Mm -hmm. going for a walk and then because my husband is often away I have to really try and keep that time you know that sacred time when he is here so that he can help look after the kids so 100% that self-care is so easy to overlook especially with a young baby as well like your windows and opportunities to actually do something just for yourself are so limited that often it is just a walk with the pram whatever it is you get 30 minutes yourself or whatever it is but we so need so much more of that that's the we stuff do. that sustains you so you've got the emotional bandwidth yeah. for the demands that come later on right you need a bit of a reset and yeah. I used to think oh self-care that was going and having a massage mm. it was going to the beautician and yeah. I was thinking god these bitches they're so lucky if they can go <laughs> and do all this stuff like I can't have I don't have time to do any of this and yeah. then I realized no self-care can be having a bath one night mm. and the kids are all asleep even if you're in it for 10 minutes and then you're about to fall asleep or yeah. you know watching your own tv show at night it's just that yeah reset can be anything yeah 100 percent. we've got to hold each other accountable and make sure we're actually doing these things because it's vital it's imperative for your kids because otherwise they don't get the best of you yeah that's what you want Mm. you want to be able to give your kids the best and just because you yelled today because you're frazzled it doesn't mean that you have to yell tomorrow Mm. so yes it's not that I feel like I have to yell I just find that I am yelling all the time I yell all the time too (laughs) and my kids now say mom you are yelling and I'm like I know I'm yelling because you're not listening you're still yelling oh yeah Yeah. oh my god you're making me feel so much better Oh gosh, I can tell you some really bad stories. It'll make you feel heaps better. Seriously, I know. We all do it. It's just natural. You're trying to herd cats. Yeah. They're off doing this and then somebody, as you said, you know, they've vomited on you and you're trying to make dinner and then your husband's Mm. like, where's my black sock? Yeah. Like, Like it happens in every household. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And it's always around dinner time. It's always the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Always. But if they just listen the first time, I know, right? you'd be fine. That's it's just right. that you've said everything 15,000 times before yeah. you finally lose it. Yeah. Right. And then they're like, why are you yelling? You're so scary. Your voice is so big. Because you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Every day in my house. <laughs> okay, good. Good. I feel yeah. so, so much better. <laughs> You've got such a soft voice. Like you, I can imagine your yelling voice would, it, oh, would no. be that you'd, scary. You'd be surprised. I, I was a singer in a past life. I can really oh, project. Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> my neighbor does actually sometimes text me and say, I'm so really sorry about the yelling. And I'm like, I haven't heard a thing because yeah. I've been too busy yelling at mine. <laughs> See, right? That's, like, yeah. that's all our greatest fears is that our neighbors are like listening in and they're too yeah. busy yelling at their own kids because it happens in every house, every yeah. mum and you speak to the way it is. Yeah. yeah. No matter how many strategies I employ to try and just control myself and to take that minute and walk away, I can't walk away. I'm just like reacting and then it's, I'm losing it. And the worst is when I've got the kids all day by myself on a weekend or something, my partner's working. And then I'm, that's the day where I'm yelling, like from the morning till the end of the day. And I haven't had a minute to myself. So I've just, I've got no way of recharging and resetting. I can't just walk out. And then do you explain to the kids that night, you know, mum's really sorry, this is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, see, I I didn't get that as a kid. You know, I remember mm. my parents yelling, but I feel like that's so good that we can have those conversations with kids now and we can say, you know what, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm actually really sorry. I've been a tyrant and yeah. you don't deserve it, but mummy's tired and they kind of look at you like, you know, you know mm. whatever. Yeah. But I really think that those conversations are planting little seeds that it's all right to make mistakes. We're yeah. not perfect. And I think that that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. My kids won't end up in years of therapy about their mum yeah. yelling, but yeah. uh, we yeah. do what we can. Those restorative conversations are important, but I think those are the ones that my eldest avoids because it's like, oh, another talk, you know, <laughs> like where he feels like he's in trouble and I'm explaining my he's really tired. I've got the new baby and I'm just not coping. And he's got all the answers like, oh, yeah, well, mum, maybe you need to have a sleep. I'm like, yeah, I would love to have a sleep, but I can't have a sleep. Can I? Because you little <laughs> bastards keep coming in and waking <laughs> yes, up. Yeah, exactly. But like, how great is that? That he's like, he's just going, yeah, but it's not a big deal. Like you're yeah. probably just tired. Yeah. Like, I yeah. just love how his brain's working. Yeah. Like, it's so simple for him, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. And I did say to my second, actually, I said to him, is mummy a good mummy? And he's like, yes, I love you, mummy. I said, is mummy a fun mummy? It's like, yeah. Is mummy a funny mummy? It's like, yeah. And I'm like, is mummy an angry mummy? And I was like waiting for him like to see how bad it really was. And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, I'm really shocked. Either he's He's so, well, I'm thinking is he like so desensitized now to the yelling (laughs) that it's just like, no, I'm not even scary. Or is it not really affecting them? as much as I, my guilt makes me think it is. Probably the latter, Mm. I'd say. Oh, mum guilt is bad. Like mum (sighs) guilt destroys mum's souls if you let it get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Because the impact on the kids, I don't think is anywhere near the impact that we put on ourselves. And that's kind of what your second born is explaining. I hope so. I do hope it's that because obviously there's the guilt. So that's the part that eats away at me. And if I've screamed so much that morning, then I drop off my little preppy and off he goes with his little backpack. Then I'm sobbing because he's such a little person and what a horrible mum am I that I'm screaming and shouting. He can't help it. He can't listen to me all the time. Blah, blah, blah. On it goes. But he's probably yeah. just learned to tune out. He's like, yeah. oh, the voice is quite annoying and I'll <laughs> tune out, you know, which makes you yell even more. Exactly. He's, just like, he's like walked into school, like no impact whatsoever, just playing, yeah. you know, how's mom? Good. Yeah. yeah. Everything's normal. You're yeah. like, oh, 
my god, I'm ruined it for life. Oh, I can't believe it. I've been yelling. It's mum guilt. Totally. It's, it's really bad. And it's, yeah. it can be really toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we all get it. Yeah, 100%. Mm. And look, to be fair, I think it's equally stressful for the pe- for the dads. I think the dad guilt is there too. Generally speaking, we're probably the ones with them more and maybe more losing it more because we're more tired. I don't know. And hormones as well, I mm. think. And also that need to nurture, mm. you know, and, and feeling like we are the main protectors of the, the kids. They rely on us so much. Yeah. So, you know, if we're rattled and yelling, then what impact does that have on them? I mean, my husband says to me all the time, you're yelling. And mm. I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> None of you are listening. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 You're in that animal part of your brain at that point. It's not like you're choosing to yell because you think it's a strategy that's going to work. You're, you're yelling because you've lost control because you're just triggered like, and stressed. So busy. Lives are yes. so busy. You've got after school sports and you've got, you know, now they're telling us that we have to pack lunches in containers. You can't send yeah. packets of chips in their yeah. packets you have to empty the packet out in it like yeah all these added layers it's just yeah. we're doing too much and yeah it's just a coping mechanism to try and get everybody to fit into some <laughs> schedule that really is quite impossible yeah I wish I had the answers I yelled to so mm-hmm. and I live on a farm so I don't have neighbors close by you know <laughs> What I'm sure the next village along is probably, you know, <laughs> riding into docks all the time. Uh, yelling again at the down the, you know, yeah. the valley. Yeah. <laughs> Kangaroos outside. And when you see about 15 of them all start jumping away, you know, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> yelling outside. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad to know that it's not just in my house then and all our kids are going to be as messed up as each other. <laughs> They'll all start yelling to each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they've got plenty of other issues that'll come up in life. And yeah. you won't yell forever. No, that's what I'm hoping. It's just when they're little most of the time because they Mm. don't kind of listen. So I just hope that when they're teenagers, it doesn't come back at me and then they're standing over me and yelling when they're not happy about how things are going. As you said, it's all about that conversation and helping them see that we're just humans too. And yeah, I think that's life really is hard. Ah, oh, there you go. We've just done a whole another segment when we're supposed to be saying <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank I love you. it. Oh, great. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. No, thank you. I have too. It's been really lovely. There's so much I would love to talk with you about, but I don't want to take up your whole day. But (laughs) (laughs) Very easy to talk to. I could talk to you all day. Oh, thank you. But look, in terms of the podcast and what you're up to, where can people find you and follow along? Our podcast is called It's All True? Question mark, because it was kind of tongue in cheek when we first started doing it. As I said, we, we had so many stories and we thought these are real stories they're very authentic and we need to share them you can search wherever you get your podcasts from for it's all true with grant and shezzy denya or you can find us on the nova player so we're with nova now and you can find us on social media we like exposing warts and all it's not polished or perfect or we're just normal so yeah shezzy denya grant denya instagram Facebook, 
thanks for being so vulnerable and open. These are the the moments that people connect to the real things in life. So thank you for being real. No worries. Yeah, I agree. I love authenticity. That's what I'm all about now. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening. We would love it if you left us a rating for this episode and catch up with Yana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on Instagram and Facebook at The Curious Life Podcast. And if you're looking for a fabulous podcast editor or producer, use ours. Julie Reynolds will turn your audio lemons into audio lemonade. Check out audiolemonade.com.au.